The NBA playoffs are officially here, and it is very, very real. I really realized that when I watched my man playoff Paul George come out to play. Couldn't be stopped, carried the Thunder to a big win. But John Lucas Duffy joining me today. You witnessed some real NBA playoff basketball firsthand at the Sixers game. What was real about that? Two things were very real. The playoff atmosphere in Philly, 10 out of 10, electric. And playoff Kelly Olenek is still very much real. Last year was not a fluke. Playoff Kelly Olenek. I love that that in like basketball nerd circles is such a real thing. <laughs> I hate it. I don't, know what to, I don't know what to do with it, but so far I just hate it. Uh, so Philly, absolutely electric. Your man Ben Simmons putting the city on his back. The whole team. It was a team. Everybody eats. We're the, this is the real team that eats. Man, the hype is real. NBA playoffs are here. But how can I do this little mini intro without shouting at my man, Wilmer Flores? Walk off home run for the Mets. They can't be stopped. Only two losses. The Mets are the best team in the league. What? What? SP my podcast. Stay tuned. We are here. What up, Pete? We are here, man. NBA playoffs are here. We got eight good games to talk about. Sports Blog New York podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy. I'm your host. Your other host is named John Lucas Duffy. You can hear him uh, when I'm not talking on this podcast. And that is going to be about half the time. Because on today's, <laughs> today's episode, right, that's, that's a true statement, I think, right? So More in, or less. In today's episode, uh, we're going to be hitting every single game one of the NBA playoffs that we saw on Saturday and Sunday because, you know, some things are very real in the playoffs, like we mentioned in the Open, like playoff Paul George. That's real. It's here to stay. But then you have a game like the Pacers and the Cavs, and there's more layers to it. Is that real? Is Victor Oladipo going to outplay LeBron James? Is that real? I don't know. We're going to talk about it. But we're going to spend about five minutes on each game one, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, who played well, and what's real here to stay, or what is a game one Fagazi BS garbage. So we have a lot of fun in store, and we're not going to talk baseball yet. And now, baseball fans, let me just say this to you. I know it's exciting, especially with the Mets. They're 12-2 and two or something like that. They can't be beat. Yankees are, uh, you know, up and down. Trash. They're up and down, but they're, they're, they're going to figure some stuff out. And there's a lot to talk they're about. They're trash. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. So don't worry. We also have a lot of season left to talk about it. And in the next couple of weeks, we are going to mix it in. But there's basketball, like, it ran this weekend. It was a basketball weekend. And if you're not appreciating the playoffs, maybe after hearing this podcast and how we have some great matchups on our hands, you'll give it a try. So, John Lucas Duffy, my man. What up? Let's start with what might have been, you know, the least uh, eventful game of the of the weekend. and Most straightforward. Most straightforward. That's a good way to put it. But it's the Golden State Warriors. Let me remind the listeners that it didn't seem straightforward coming in. People were a little nervous the way the the Warriors have played over the past week. And also, as I say this, I'm going to start my timer, so five minutes. Uh, but they, they, they basically ran with the Spurs. What did you learn from the game one, the first game of the NBA playoffs? Uh, I learned that the Warriors are who I thought they were. A lot of people were worried that they didn't have that mental edge. I know I was a little worried when they blown out jazz but i said you know that they're gonna flip the switch a lot of people talking about is lebron and the Cavs. are they gonna be able to flip the switch the warriors are gonna flip the switch especially against the spurs team who 
they they just didn't look great all season. Honestly, it was just Pop kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors, just playing that Spurs system. And it's not a really talented team. It's just not. I mean, I brought this point up. I don't know if it was on the pod or if I was just talking to you, but if we, like, if if Kevin Love was, like, on this team in Minnesota, we'd be like, and LaMarcus Aldridge having this all-star year, it's just like, yeah, you know, a good player on a bad team just getting garbage numbers. That's how I feel about LaMarcus Aldridge on the Spurs team all year. The team around him was just so, so bad. And they don't have an identity without Kawhi. It's just a bunch of guys doing – they're just cogs in a machine. I don't know. If I'm, if I'm a reporter, the Spurs have no chance of winning this series. I'm asking Pop only about Kawhi. Only. You're it's just, the only thing that's interesting about them at this point. How hard are you getting under Pop's game? Like, what is your goal reaction from Pop if you're just asking about Kawhi? My goal is just to be earnest and in the sense that I just want legitimate information. We've just been getting jerked around all season. And this is quietly the most interesting story of the season to me because it's been the same thing throughout the, all year. Just no one knows. I don't know. Ask him. We don't know if he's coming back. All right, he's coming back. No, just kidding. He's not coming back. And maybe he's going to retire. Maybe he's going to quit. Maybe Frank had a great theory. Maybe he's just uh, a secret agent whose cover got blown with all this Russian you know, scandal going on with Facebook. And now his cover's <laughs> blown, and he needs to get the hell out of town. That's the most logical theory I've heard so far. The, the, the Kawhi is a spy theory. I think that needs more play on the national media. It's not people aren't talking; they're not giving it a realistic chance. I mean, it may have been started in a group chat between me, you, Frank, and Bab, uh, but it also may be true. And no one, no one's proved to me that it's not true. I'll tell you that much. Exactly. Prove prove me wrong. Yeah. Change my change my mind. <laughs> yeah. Change my mind. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here. Change my mind. <laughs> uh, so the Spurs are, seem to be uh, in a tough place, and you don't know if they're going to bounce back. I still give them like that game or two where they either keep it super close or sneak one out, and it goes five. But, man, if I wasn't confident that Warriors were definitely going to win the series before, I feel pretty damn good about it now. I'll tell you that. I think what's more important about this game, um, non-talking about the Spurs, talking about the team that will actually be playing deep into these playoffs, is the the, the Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson train was able to carry the rest of the parts offensively. And that's just, that just wasn't really happening over the past week and a half, two weeks when Kevin, uh, Steph Curry was out. So, I mean, Klay Thompson was 11 of 13, like insanely efficient, 5 of 6 from 3. And, and when you get that from Clay, you're going to win. Like, that's just what it, that's how it goes. Like, unless unless Clay starts his 5 for 6 streak when you're down by 15 already to bring you back, a la, like, game, what was it, game 6 against OKC a couple years back. Yep. If he does that from the, from the get-go, it's over, man. It's over. Kevin Durant also had a great game. Defense looked up to par. I mean, the, are, are the Warriors just going to run through this series stuff? Yeah, 100%. They, they, the Spurs just don't have the shooting to match up with them. Just, I, I talked about it a couple days ago, basketball at this point. It kind of just boils down to a math equation, and you need X amount of three-pointers, X amount of points in the paint. And, you know, the Spurs were close in threes. I think they had the same amount of threes or maybe just like two less. Yeah, they had one less three-pointer made. But then points in the paint, the the Warriors outscored them by 12. So they, they were rebounding the shit out of the ball. They, they out-rebounded by 17, 57 to 40, like not even close. And this is, this is the, a Warriors team that doesn't even have a traditional big man who can really like fly around and dominate the backboard. They had to do it as a team. 
I don't think a single a warrior had 10 rebounds on their own. No, highest two, two tied for eight. They had Draymond and Kevin Durant tied for eight rebounds. How about the JaVale McGee start? That's pretty fun. <laughs> that was electric. I was actually I was actually in New York going out for our friend's like sister's birthday. We were in a cab and he was the cab driver was listening to the game on the radio. And all I kept hearing was JaVale McGee flies out. Like he just got a dunk, a block, uh, like a <laughs> rebound and assist all in like a span of a 15 minute cab ride. It was insane. Uh, wait, are you saying you were in New York? By the way, that's five minutes on the the Spurs Warriors. So good timing there. But you were in New York, and then made it to uh, the Sixers game in Philly by the nighttime. Yeah, How we did... were we drove from Robbinsville to New York down to Philly and back to Robbinsville. That's insane. That's insanity. What? Why? How? Uh, well, I committed to go to the birthday thing before I bought the tickets for the game, and just to. You know, I, I said I was going to go, so we got to pay our respects. This is sister. We went there. She was late to her own birthday thing, so that sucked. And then we had turned around, and we just m- made it to the game with plenty of time. We had a bail on her. Ball is life. I don't know what to say. <laughs> your your dedication runs twofold. Uh, dedication to family and friends. And family de- first. And dedication to the game of life, a.k.a. ball, a.k.a. the NBA, a.k.a. NBA playoffs. Shout out, shout out you, Duff. I'm just working hard out here for the people. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next game. This game had some intrigue due to the Raptors' curse of them literally never winning the first game of the playoffs in their entire franchise's history. They were 0 for 9 in the first game of the playoffs up until this point. Uh, you were a big believer in the Raptors' curse. I was pushing back. I was pushing back on I said, you know what? No, the Raptors are going to win this game, and they're going to win it handily. We're going to be confident. And it's going to feel good. All right. Well, maybe at halftime didn't feel as good as Washington went into the half with a good lead. But, man, the Raptors showed up in the second half. And largely without the scoring impact of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, they really did it as a team. They have uh, five, uh, six guys in double digits, including Serge Ibaka as their leading scorer, DeLon Wright and C.J. Miles off the bench just shooting the hell out of the ball. I mean, the Raptors got that one thing off their back. Right with the with the winning game one, are are they are they real these playoffs? When how do you feel about them moving through this series? Will it be a breeze? And are you more confident now than you were say a week ago? Uh, I'm definitely more confident. I wouldn't say it's going to be a breeze uh, because the other teams in their in their brackets have either LeBron James or the team that just beat LeBron James by 18 points. So I'm not. Not going to say they're going to walk through to the Eastern Conference Finals or anything. Yeah, but what, but... About, what about this series, though? Hmm? What about this? Oh, you just specifically for this series? Yeah, sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel great about the Raptors for this series. Oh, yeah. Like, when you got Serge Ibaka pulling up from three with hands in his face, like, he led the team in scoring at 23 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 4 from the foul line, 3 for 4 from three. OG Ananobi spotting up for threes. And he is their best perimeter defender. So if he is hitting his his shots, especially from three, if he can be a true legitimate three and D player, that gives them like a huge advantage in terms of depth. And because it, it, it's all about who's going to be making shots for you in these games. Because if you can't shoot, if you can't score and do other things besides play defense, it's really hard to put you out there. Just look at how people, you know, guard uh, Andre Roberson or uh, Tony Allen in games. They just completely stand there in the paint and ignore them. You need to have five guys be a threat out there so people can't cheat off you. And 
OG was not playing like a rookie. I was really impressed when I was watching the highlights. Like I missed this game because I was actually driving or, or I showed up to the to the uh, Sixers game. But when I saw the highlights, I really was impressed with his poise and just like he knew where to be, where to go, where to relocate on threes so he could get open when other people helped off or when there was a scramble, he would just pop up. I, I was really impressed with the supporting cast of the of the Raptors. Now, flipping over to the Washington Wizards, led by John Wall, Bradley Beal, uh, also apparently Mark Markeith Morris, uh, 22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. That's a game for him, statistically. The Morris brothers are having a playoffs right now. Gosh dang, you know, for real. Like, they're, they're, they played pretty well. And like I said, at halftime, you know, you look at the halftime of this game and you're like, oh, this is a real, real game. We might have a real series on our hands. But then you kind of leave the game thinking, oh, the Wizards, what do, what do they really have here? So... John Wall had 23 points, uh, 15 assists, right? Super active, did not shoot well at all. Thankfully, he got to the line 10 times and got eight points from the free throw line. But part of your concern with the Wizards was the whole thing about when John Wall went out and they played a little bit more of a a pace and space offense, more moving of the ball. Bradley Beal really stepped up. Now John Wall's back. He's controlling the show. He's doing more. He's doing John Wall things, right? Now we know John Wall's real. We don't specifically know if playoff John Wall is real. Are you nervous about how this team's overall impact goes when John Wall is just straight up running the show and it's harder for some other guys to really, really be involved? Yeah, because I made the point, I think it was uh, at the end of last week when we were previewing that he seemed very, like the way he plays now, it reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook. And his stat line was very Russell Westbrook to me. He had 23 points on 6 of 20 from the field. And Russ tonight had 29 points on like 10 of 25 from the field. Like that's just so similar to me. He shot better from three than Russ would have, but he just has the ball in his hands so much. And a lot of it, he's got a lot of assists in this game, but I saw a couple times in particular, where he's just flying through the lane and, and he just kind of jumps in the air, panics, looks for someone. He happens to kick it out to Bradley Beal, who just, you know, tosses up a three and it goes in. And it's like, okay, you got an assist for that, but did you really create anything for your teammates or did you kind of get bailed out and now your stats just look better? It, it, it had that type of feel for me. And on top, I really, he just doesn't buy into that, that style of just everyone eats. Everybody eats. Why isn't everybody eating, Pete? I don't know, man. I mean, he had five turnovers, which when you're talking about a point guard who handles the ball as much as him, sometimes turnovers do just really add up, right? And it's something you don't have to buy too much into, but... When it's five turnovers and the rest of the starting lineup only had two turnovers, that means you're out there and you're really the only one who's making, say, mistakes or, quote, mistakes uh, with the ball. And that's tough to really to really run through a talented team like the Toronto Raptors. That being said, though, they are super talented. So I never buy into the fact of this team is better without John Wall. Like I think that's crazy. I think what could be good, what, what I thought would be good for the Wizards is that when John Wall was out, Tomas Sadoransky really had to step up. Kelly Oubre had to step up. Otto Porter had to do more creating. And I thought maybe, just maybe, that when John Wall's come back, they can combine John Wall's prowess with the newfound confidence in the other players. And I just don't know if that happened with Otto Porter only getting seven shots, only scoring nine points, and Tomas Sadoransky only playing 12 minutes. Like I know Sadoransky's not someone you would look at as a game-breaker, but, I mean... These teams need other people to step up. I know it's all about the stars in the NBA. I know everybody thinks stars win series, they win games, and it's true to a point. But ask anybody, ask any star, Paul George, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, uh, Steph Curry, any any star in the league, 
they need the other guys to play well. So if you see a guy, I'm going to give you Otto Porter, um, Kelly Oubre, and Sadoransky. Who can be their X factor from, from your perspective? Uh, I, th- I think it's got to be Porter. He he plays more than those other guys. He's been more consistent than those other guys shooting this year. And, you know, he he's not quite as good on defense as Kelly Oubre, but he's close. So he, he's the one who could have the most impact out of those three guys, I would say. And, you know, he didn't get a lot of shots. And I think, you know, you're talking about John Wall fitting into this team. Does he fit in? Does he fit out? He seems a lot like he's worried about John Wall. He doesn't seem like he's worried about the team. He's like, okay, everyone's saying this team is better off without me. I got to prove him wrong. He's worried about his own agenda rather than the team agenda. And, you know, we don't know what's going on inside that locker room. We don't know what's going on inside Porter's head or, or any of these guys. And maybe they were just timid and they didn't want to shoot. Maybe they're happy that John Wall's taking the shots and, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying from the outside looking into me, it, it didn't look like, the shooters were getting the touches they needed, especially when the Raptors are making twice as many threes. Like we talked about it last, the last matchup. It's all about threes and points in the paint. You, you're getting outshot twice as many threes by the other team. What when you're two more, you're two points ahead and points in the paint. Like it, it comes back to that math equation thing. If you're going to get blown out in the three point game, you're not going to win the game. It's not going to be close because you just can't make up those points. And Otto Porter has to be one of those guys who who, yep. who just takes those shots. He shoots such a good percentage. I mean, Marcus mm-hmm. Morris got 15 shots. I'm a Mark Keith Morris, sorry. Got 15 shots, and Otto Porter needs to be in that range. He needs double-digit shots. You can live when Marcin Gortat gets nine. It's, like, perfect, right? He rolls. He gets a couple shots, right? Otto Porter sure. needs to be involved. So hopefully the Wizards can make this a series and, and really get everybody else going. It's, it's John Wall's job to make sure everyone eats. And his 15 assists will make you think he had everyone eaten. But when you see the shot totals and you see who got the shots – it doesn't feel like that. So, hey, we'll see what happens to the Wizards and Raptors, but we went over our five minutes. We went about six and a half minutes there. Uh, so time to move on. But first, this is Sports Blog New York Podcast. If you're listening today, thank you so much. Me and Duff are out here uh, late night on Sunday waiting for the Rockets game to end so we can talk about all these game ones in its entirety to look forward to an upcoming game. So if you like what you've been hearing from the SPNY Podcast and the NBA Outsiders, uh, don't forget to just you know subscribe to this podcast. It's real easy. Hit it on the podcast app, Overcast app, Pocket Cast, Google Play. I don't know. Wherever you listen to podcasts, click subscribe. And if you like what you've been hearing, how about a little rating and review? just takes like two seconds to click stars and sit, hit submit. And if you so kindly would like to throw some feedback or take a nice hot take about these playoffs, throw that in there. And we'd love to talk about it, too. And that's a Sports Bug Network podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, but now on to the game in which you were president. President, not president. You were present. I was both. <laughs> you were the present president at the Philadelphia 76ers game, Duff. Uh, five minutes starts now. Is Ben Simmons the best player on the court? And it's not close. And I'll leave that to you. Yes. I mean, if Embiid's not playing, he's the best player on the court. And it's not even close. If Embiid is playing, then it's close. And on any given night, it could be one or the other. But the good thing for Philly fans is they're both on your team. So you don't have to worry about much this series. I don't think the way I saw that first game roll out, I, I, it just looked the, the heat just got eviscerated. Like I understand Philly was shooting unbelievably well. Like Bellinelli and JJ Redick were just flying everywhere. They're sh- the both of them are so good coming off curls and like leaning these leaners that they have. Just they, they never have to put the ball down and take a dribble, but they're still creating space. 
without even like a chance to turn the ball over. And they've been become so consistent with that. And especially JJ Redick while Embiid was out, he was getting so many more touches. He's comfortable carrying a, a heavier load. And it, it was just like, it was unbelievable to watch the first game of Philadelphia's playoff life this year could not have gone better for a fan base that was really, really thirsting for it. What, what did you think as a neutral observer? So like you said, family first, right? So I actually had, um, I had, a, I was at a bowling birthday party during, during this game. So thank you. Little cousin. Uh, no, it was my, uh, <laughs> it was my girlfriend's dad actually, which is, which is a thing. But uh, whatever, right? I luckily had the Sixers game right above my lane, so that was super awesome. I just remember, you know, watching that first half and saying, "All right, this is this is competitive." You know, the, the Heat went in with a lead, but it kind of just felt like there was any moment where the Sixers would pop, right? And I don't know how it felt in the stadium. I, I'm sure you guys can kind of feel it in that third quarter when you held them to under 20 points. But I'm watching, I'm watching this game. I watched the the, the highlights, and I, I'm. I'm seeing J.J. Redick and Marco Bellinelli, and this is what I'm talking about with Otto Porter needing to get these shots. The Sixers make sure that their shooters shoot. They make sure that the mixture of Saric, Covington, J.J., Ersan Ilyasova, and Marco Bellinelli get their freaking shots up. So it seemed to me like Ben Simmons was like, yes, this team is eating, and I'm going to eat. Everyone needs to eat. That's how this is going to go. And also, we're going to lock the freaking crap down about out of this team defensively because they don't have one true star and we have uh, a bunch of guys who play very good defense and make the right risks and make the right reads. After that second half, Duff, did you walk out of that stadium thinking, oh my God, this is so in the bag? Absolutely. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't believe what I was watching at a certain point. It, it was after, I think it was the first quarter late first quarter or early second quarter because Fultz was in. Uh, he passed the ball over to Ilya Sova. Ilya Sova did a pump fake, one dribble, step back three, and it, he swished it. And I was just like, oh, my God, what is happening? It was just that kind of night for the Sixers where everything was clicking. And just on defense, they're so long. They're so, so long. And Amir Johnson, like I was actually dogging him a few months ago to one of Babs' friends, and I was like, man, he looked really, really old in this game. And I think it was against the heat actually, but last night he was really good on the, on the boards. Like he wasn't great on the putbacks. He was one for seven on like any, I don't think he shot from outside of 10 feet. So he he wasn't putting the ball back, but he was really working hard on the, on the glass, banging bodies and just wreaking havoc. That was one thing I definitely noticed. And Ben Simmons just looked very under control. Like whoever was guarding him was at the foul line or in no one was even close to him, but, he was very composed. He doesn't he, he doesn't see that space and just kind of get nervous like, oh, shit, like this is an NBA game. I'm supposed to be playing fast right now. He stands there. He takes his time. He surveys the floor. They see who need, who's open. You know, they run their curls. They run their plays. They, they, and it's just so methodical. Everything's fast, but it's under control. This team just plays with such a poise. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. Like, conversely – when Kelly Olynyk is your best player in, in a game for the Heat, I'm a little worried about that. You know, Wade was actually showing some flashes. I, I couldn't believe it. He, he was just doing the typical Wade thing where he was getting guys to he – was, he was working like the medium post like 15 feet out and just like pump faking and getting guys to go up and he would get free throws. And it's just like annoying to watch if you're not rooting for him. But 
you know, if that's like the toughest thing you got to deal with, you're going to be. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, you dipped out for a second. What's up? Go on. Uh, no, that was it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah I thought, I thought you went dead for a second. Uh, anyway, so I feel that. And one thing about Kelly Olynyk being the best player, I noticed two things. I should say not one thing. I noticed two things about the way this game matched up. Number one is Hassan Whiteside can't play unless Joel Embiid plays. Like he only played 12 minutes, and that's because he just does not match up with this run-and-gun Sixers team unless Joel Embiid's on the floor. So that's kind of crazy that this by the Sixers not having Joel Embiid, they actually essentially take out one of the Heat's best players and probably, well, definitely their best rim protector who really does need to be in there as much as possible. But if he just doesn't match up with anybody, like, you can't put him on Ersan Ilyasova. And if you're playing, like, Saric as the five or you're playing uh, Ilyasova or Simmons at the five, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. And then the other thing is, and what I think the Sixers' playoffs might actually turn into, I know their offense is really fun and exciting. They shoot threes and Ben Simmons is great. This might come about their defense. And just think about the way their their defensive scheme kind of sets up. Ben Simmons is essentially guarding the point guard, shooting guard, small forward, or power forward, possibly some centers. Having that guy next to Covington, who's a good defender, Saric, who is a good matchup guy, J.J. Redick, you can put on the worst guy. And that's essentially exactly how they took out Josh Richardson from this game. They took out Tyler Johnson. They took out uh, James Johnson. Because they just don't match up. There's no way in the world that Goran Dragic is a good matchup against Ben Simmons. It, so, however the Sixers figured out to play these guys, they have such nightmare. I'm such matchup wins, just head to head. No matter how they set up their defense, there's more size, there's more strength, there's more length, and it's going to be tough for guys like Josh Richardson, Goran Dragic, and Tyler Johnson to make serious impacts when the smallest guy on the opposing team is JJ Redick. Too big, too strong, too fast, too athletic, too young, too smart. Like th- this team is so far ahead of where everyone thought they would be. It's it's pretty incredible. Do you think they should just at this point really just make sure Joel Embiid's healthy? Don't rush him back. Absolutely, because like you said, they can't even play Whiteside. If if they go small, Whiteside can't do anything on the court because whoever they put at the five is going to be able to shoot unless it's Ben Simmons, in which case, you know, Whiteside can't guard him either. So he's just going to blow by, or he's going to have so too much space to survey and like when there's a mismatch in the post and you're trying to feed that guy the ball the best thing the the guy guarding the perimeter player with the ball the passer can do is pressure the ball pressure the ball and Whiteside, he he can't pressure the ball handler and make passes difficult he's he, think about a quarterback just sitting in a pocket with no pressure at all just got all day to pass it it's the same thing for ben simmons and they really need Whiteside to protect the rim. And if he just can't match up, he can't do it. Well, we definitely yep. went, we went over five minutes once again. Uh, what are you going to do? Hey, right? Sixers played a great game. The hype is super real. The one thing I do want to remind everybody, this will be a theme possibly coming through the rest of this episode. Uh, series don't start, Duff, if you may forget. They don't start until somebody loses a game at home or wins on the road, which is the same thing. So most of these games, the home team won. Raptors, Warriors, uh, Sixers. The next game actually is not the case. But these games, these series, they do not really, really start until somebody loses at home. So we'll see how the Sixers react once they get down to Miami. Or, of course, if they get smacked in the mouth in game two. But moving on to our next game, uh, the one true upset of Saturday, the New Orleans Pelicans. 
they snuck out a two-point win against the Portland Trailblazers. My clock has now started. This game was about two things for the Pelicans. One, Anthony Davis is goddamn incredible. Incredible. And playoff Rondo may be a real, real thing. And then shout-out Drew Holiday for really making that all-team defense bid look more legit in the first game of the playoffs. Tough. You picked the Pelicans to win the series. I did not. What did you see from your man, Alvin Gentry, and the Pelicans? Uh, I saw a lot, a lot, a lot of Anthony Davis. 26 shots, 14 for 26. You love that. And that's they need a steady diet of Anthony Davis. He cannot shoot the ball enough this, this series because the Blazers just don't have anyone who can match up and guard him. Nurkic is not a bad defender, but he he can't match up possession after possession after possession for 48 minutes. And then if you're going to make him do that, you're okay because he's going to be as like a zero on the offensive end because he's going to be so tired from running after this freaking nature. And I actually almost predicted his stat line exactly correct. I I, I told my friend I was like he's going to go for like 35, 15 with three blocks and two steals. Went for 35 and 14 with four blocks and two steals. So. I was actually ridiculously close on that. Just want to shout out myself there. <laughs> shout out. Um, you. <laughs> um, the other, hey, the wait, other thing hold I, on, hold I on. wanted to talk wait, wait, about. Wait, wait. What were you saying? If we're doing self shout outs here, uh, I picked the Raptors to win. The spread was eight points, and I bought a point to seven, and that's why you buy point stuff. The Raptors won by eight. Shout out me. That's why you buy a point. Don't be don't be too proud. Just buy the. If you think you need a point, just buy the damn point. That's All what right, I'm saying. People? All right, go on. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Um, the other big matchups I was talking about a couple days ago. Drew Holiday and Rondo going up against uh, McCollum and Lillard. So in the first half, Damian Lillard and CJ McConnell combined for three points on one for 15 shooting. I'm pretty sure it's a stat I don't have in front of me. But in the second in the second half, they went for 34 points combined. So they were 37 combined. That's a little math for you guys. And uh, that's not going to get it done for them. That They need more out of those two. They need to be closer to a combined 50 than a combined 30. Uh, if they really need to carry this offensive load because Anthony Davis is going to be there every game. He's going to get his 30 every game and there's not much the Blazers can do about it. It's just a matter of can, can they outscore them on the other end between Lillard and McCollum. And if you have Anthony Davis equal to both Lillard and McCollum, basically that's an absolute recipe for disaster. As far as the Blazers are concerned, they need to get those guys good shots and they just need to shoot better like six for 23 seven for 18 that's not going to get it done I, I mean i don't know what you were seeing but for me that's kind of just all it comes down to is those two things well what i see here is that this, this isn't going to happen again uh, or it might happen again it's not going to happen every game no way are damian lillard and cj mccollum going to be that quiet it's just not going to happen i i i don't know if like this is the, the the argument against that is that Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo, anchored by Anthony Davis as their as their centerpiece, that is a really good defensive matchup uh, for them against the Blazers, right? But I still feel confident Lillard and McCollum won't be that cold uh, for an entire series. So I really do believe this is going to be a long one. I think this is going to be one of the true long series of the first round. Uh, if some of them other some of these other ones play out kind of more chalky, this one's going deep, and I think that's what we do know. So Rajon Rondo, 17 assists, 8 rebounds, only 6 points. Man only took 9 shots. Like, I said it in the preview. There's going to be a moment where Rajon Rondo does something on the court where you're just like, 
holy hell, like, how did he just do that? How did he make that decision so quickly? Or how did he know that was going to happen? It feels like he's a step ahead. And, and it just proved to be true again. Now, do you have the confidence for Rondo to keep this up? Because I think Lillard and McCollum tick up. Rondo started off pretty hot. Is he going to stay steady or is he going to tick down? Uh, I think as long as he plays within himself, he keeps his field goal attempts under 10, which I don't think will ever be an issue for him. He does not get shot happy. The only thing is maybe he just pounds the ball too much and he's trying too hard to be that quarterback on the floor. He had 17 assists. I don't know how much I love the ball in his hands that much for a guy who can't shoot outside of 15 feet. So I don't, I don't love that aspect of it, but when he's finding guys and he gets almost 20 assists, I mean, what are you going to say? Like he, he's clearly tossing dimes out all over the floor. So for now, if he keeps that up, I'm okay with it. Just, you know, game one, little overreaction. I'm fine. Also, you're forgetting this man is probably the best connect four player in, in the entire country. <laughs> so he just always sees those angles. <laughs> That's, that's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, it turns into the John Wall thing that we were talking about earlier. Is him dominating the ball ultimately a good thing for the team? The reason why I don't see it being an issue is because there's such such an important, you know, focus for them to get the ball in Anthony Davis's hand. So I don't think that'll ever become a problem. But it also helps Rondo that he's throwing lobs to Anthony Davis. <laughs> yeah, like there's a, but there's a clear direction when he has the ball in his hands. He's looking to distribute. When, when John Ball has the ball in his hands, it's like you don't know what he's going to do. He could just, like, chuck a three. He could just go crazy to lane. He just pull up. Or he could – I mean, like, he can do more things. He can score more ways. But when you have a clear understanding of who the alpha is on your team, like, we're not sure John Wall is the best player on his team or should be the number one option scoring-wise. We're damn sure Anthony Davis should be the number one option. And everyone on the Pelicans knows that too. And that's the most important part. Everybody in the world knows that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So game two prediction, because this is the only one so far that the home team did not win. So Portland will likely be slightly favored uh, in game two. I didn't check the odds on that. Unfortunately, I'm sorry for my lack of homework, but game two prediction quick. Cause we're over five minutes. Who wins game two Pelicans or Blazers? Uh, game two Blazers are going to even it back up. Like you said, I don't think Lillard and McCollum are going to go ice cold from the field like that again. And it was only a two-point game, so I think they pull out a must-need, uh, like a must-win. This is a must-win game on the game two, must-win. I hear that. I hear that a lot, and I agree. I think I just think the odds of Lillard and McCollum struggling two games in a row at home in the playoffs are slim. They're one one of those guys is going to have a good game. One of those guys is going to have a good game, and as we saw in game one. It would have only taken one of those guys in game one to have a better game for them to win. They only lost by two points. That's a good one. We'll be keeping our eye on that. But let's move on to the Sunday games now. Possibly the game of the weekend started early. About one, I was at a 1 o'clock start uh, in Boston where the Celtics, who were favorite to win the game, who are still favorite to win the series, are clearly undermanned. I heard while I listened to the radio, I was in the car for half this game, uh, the host of the Celtics radio said, you look at the injury report today, and, um, you know, the Celtics have Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Daniel Tice, Marcus Smart, four guys who would be huge parts of the rotation. The New Orleans Pelicans have zero names on their injury report. Off the start, I mean the Pelicans, I meant the Bucks. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bucks have zero names on their injury report. Off the, off the start, that makes it it's going to be a tough series for the Celtics. But they played Celtics basketball. Terry Rozier was great. Brad Stevens reigned supreme as the more talented coach. 
and they won a nail-biter in overtime, so it's clearly going to be a well-contested competitive series. But, Duff, what was, what was the one key for you from the Celtics' perspective that helped them get over the hump against the Bucs? Uh, from the Celtics' perspective, I would say it was Al Horford. God, Al Horford was Al really Horford, banging right? bodies down low. He really did he was, his job on Giannis, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he, he, he was putting him in foul trouble, putting him in – not foul trouble, but, like, putting him in awkward positions and making him uncomfortable, making him play physical on the defensive end. And, you know, Giannis still got his 35, but it, it just it, – it, it showed him, like, we're not messing around. Like, I know you're one of the best in the league, but I'm still here. And, and he had 12 rebounds. Like, the biggest knock on Al Horford this year is, what, he was an all-star who averaged, like, 14 points and six or seven rebounds at the time. Like, not really staggering numbers, but he was just so important to that team as the defensive anchor. Tonight, he did it on both ends, 24 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, two steals, three blocks, you know, 13 for 14 from the foul line, like playing really physical, 44 minutes. I, it, he was the number one most important thing for the Celtics in this game, and like he's been in many games this season. He really, what do you think? He, he really he does it on the low. He really does it on the low. And I don't know if I would have noticed it so drastically if I wasn't listening to the ra- the radio broadcast. Because, you know, you obviously take it in a little differently when you're not watching it and you're just listening. And his name was just being mentioned over and over and over again. Whether it was just being in the lane uh, when the Bucks miss a point-blank shot because he altered it. Whether it was him setting screens, whether it was him moving the ball. Al Horford came to play, and he proved that, yeah, the Celtics are missing their two best players technically, but they have another all-star on their team, and his name is Al Horford. And he may not be flashy, but he gets the freaking job done, and that's just true. Um, back to the Bucks real quick. So Chris Middleton had a phenomenal game as well, over 30 points. He is their clear, clear other go-to guy outside of Giannis. The problem was, outside of that, is that Eric Bledsoe had a really rough game, only nine points. Malcolm Brogdon actually looked like the superior point guard to Eric Bledsoe for most of that game. I don't know if the Bucks have enough around or have a good enough system to elevate certain guys that Chris Middleton and Giannis are going to have to combine for 70 points in a game in order for them to win. Like That's how it felt watching the Bucks today. Yeah, this is like they're they're like the anti Sixers where they have these two two really talented players and they just don't fill in the cracks. They don't have the shooting around them. And Jabari, and Tony, Jabari Parker Tony's, was also bad, by the way, very bad. Who did you say? Jabari Parker was also very bad. Yeah, he he seems just like out of it. He kind of has seemed out of it all this year. I mean, he came in late. He hasn't played in like two years, basically. So he's trying to find his grooves and all, his groove, and all of a sudden you're in the playoffs. So, you know, it's it's really just a kind of a tough spot for him to be in. And the one thing that was really impressive was Malcolm Brogdon, like you said, coming in basically at from this injury. He's missed so much time, gets back in the playoffs, and he he looked really confident. Like he hadn't missed a, missed a step. He shot six for 13 from the floor. Not great, but he was still aggressive. And the, the one thing that really scares me about this was Tony Smell, Tony Snell, zero for three uh, no, from he, three. He was smelling. You could say smell. Tony he was sm- he was smelling. He was smelling <laughs> a little bit. It's like Tony a little stanky. Tony Snell versus Tony Smell. It's like the uh, his anti, his, yeah, his anti personality. Yeah, it's bizarro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he he wasn't he wasn't hitting his shots. And if he's going to be a three and D guy, he he's got to be a threat to hit the three. And he looked tentative towards the end of games because the shot wasn't falling for him. So, you know, 
other teams pick up on that body language. And if he doesn't have the mindset to be a threat, other teams aren't going to think of, think of him as a threat and they'll cheat off to play other guys. I mean, he took four shots. He only had two points. His two points came in the first half. And it's not a it's not a good look for a guy who's playing over thirty minutes. It's just not gonna it's not gonna cut it. In, in no world is that gonna cut it. So it really comes down to who of these other guys is gonna be decent enough to make thirty one and thirty five from Chris Middleton and Giannis worth it. Who are the other guys who are gonna fill in the cracks, like you said? And you know what? Uh, not, not I don't want to make this like a hot take or anything like that, but. I was just watching and listening to this game, thinking about Chris Middleton and Giannis, and I know Giannis is the better player. He is the more important player. He's an MVP candidate. He's incredible. His defense, his length. I I don't need to say how good Giannis is. But Chris Middleton, for a guy who doesn't get a ton of love, he shot 12 of 20, right? So Giannis shoots 11 of 21. He shoots near the rim all the time. It's like his field goal percentage should be that high. Chris Middleton shoots contested mid-rangers. He shot seven threes. He was five of seven. And he still shot well over 50%. I mean, this dude is underrated. I thought he should have got that all-star nod uh, that Goran Dragic got for the for the replacement spot. His game fits the modern NBA so damn well. He can help out rebounding. He can handle the ball a little bit. He facilitates pretty decently. And he is a goddamn knockdown shooter. Chris Middleton, if he doesn't get the love from national NBA uh, media, I get it. But someone needs to notice this man putting in work. He He's that good for me. He's the typical NBA outsider. He's the typical player that we love. He's he's like Joe Ingles. It's like those two yeah, exactly. type of guys. Those are the dudes that we love. If this makes if this makes sense, he's kind of like a just a, he's a more advanced Jason Tatum at this point. Like he has the length, he has the ability to handle the ball a little bit. He can score from every level of the basketball court, and they're they're both big. Like I don't know that comp is something I just thought of. We're gonna flip over to the Celtics real quick. Does that does that make sense to you? He's just a, a, an older, stronger Jason Tatum at this point. I think Jason Tatum's ceiling's a little higher, obviously, but their styles fit this NBA perfectly, and they're very similar. Yeah, he and he played 47 minutes, and he was dominating the mid range. And anytime he got a a bad switch, where like Terry Rozier, Sean Larkin was guarding him, Shane Larkin, right? Shane Larkin. Yes. Yeah, Shane Larkin was guarding him. He he took advantage of that, and it was the easy turnaround jumper test, just because those guys are too short. Like they're six foot, six foot two, maybe, and he's six seven. Like, how are you gonna block, even alter his shot, make him think about it? Nothing. Insane. Uh, he's really he's a really good player. We're going to see that in this series. But now, quickly to Celtics. We're already over five minutes, but who cares? Uh, let's talk about the Celtics for a minute. We talked about Al Horford. The the other the big three, or should I call them like the mini three, because they're all young and not super duper experienced, but they are now baby three. the baby three. Perfect. They are the big three for the Boston Celtics currently, without Kyrie, without Hayward, uh, even without Smart. They're filling all three of those roles, and that's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Terry Rozier. They all had great games. Tatum was the lowest scorer with 19 and a fairly efficient 19 with 10 rebounds. Can this big three with minimal experience carry the Celtics through this series? I think so because Tatum, he's going to have, he had the worst shooting night he's probably going to have in this, in this uh, series. And like you said, he was still doing other stuff. He got 10 rebounds, four assists, three steals, a block. He had five turnovers, but he has to. He he's got to do so much now. And against this Bucks team, they're so long. They're flying around on defense. Like it, it's understandable. And obviously, they won, so we can forgive them for it. If it was, scores flipped, we'd be killing them. 
but it doesn't matter because they won. Um, and Terry, Ro- uh, Terry Rozier cooked. He cooked Eric Bledsoe on that last second shot. Insane. He was good 15 feet away from it. It was disgusting, the move he made. I, and he just knocked down the three. Like I don't know what it is about these Celtics, these young Celtics players. They're cold-blooded. Like I trust him. I trust Jalen Brown. I trust Jason Tatum. I even trust Marcus Smart. Oddly enough, I for whatever reason, when I feel he, like I've seen him shoot enough clutch shots at the end of games. Like if he's making it in the first quarter, I don't if he puts up a shot, it's probably not going in. Fourth quarter, less than two minutes. For some reason, I think it's going in. I don't know why. You got some faith in Marcus Smart. That's funny. Uh Terry Rozier, I said this before on the preview podcast. I'll say it again. In Terry, we trust. I, I feel good about that. He he's Untradeable. Danny H. Untradeable. <laughs> yeah, untradeable. Also, shout out Marcus Morris, 20 points uh, off the bench. Pretty damn good performance by him. Bro, right. the Morris brothers. So the Celtics, you feel pretty good they're going to win this series? Or do you feel like Yeah, I'm still, I'm still feeling pretty good. Because this was an overtime game. This is overtime. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a fought. Look, they, they should have won it in regulation, but Chris Middleton hit a 28-footer with .5 seconds left. Like, that was crazy. That was absolutely insane. Uh, shout out Chris Middleton again. All right, that's going to be a good one. I look forward to the game two of that series. Now the most shocking game, the most shocking game of all of the game ones of the NBA playoffs was the Indiana Pacers with the 18-point route of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Duff, I, I know I was, um, I don't know if I was just playing devil's advocate, but I was definitely talking of the Pacers' chance to, you know, compete for them to make the Cavs' life hard, for Old Depot to have some really good games, you know, Miles Turner can really make a coming out party for himself here. I, I was trying to, you know, just throw them a bone, say that they compete, make this series tough. It was an eight-point spread, and I thought they may keep it within that. The Vic, the Victor Old Depot-led Indiana Pacers, from start to finish, outplayed the Cavs on every level. Defensive intensity, shooting the ball. Victor Old Depot outplayed LeBron James. Is this real, or did what we see today was simply just a wake-up call for the Cleveland Cavaliers? This is real. This is really real. This was – I did not expect – I was. I thought it was crazy. You were like, what if the Pacers win? I'd be like, I would say I'm living on the planet because it's not going to happen here. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready to completely uh, go the other way on it and say the Pacers are about to win, but – the, the Cavaliers need to get their shit together because Jeff Green was out there for 27 minutes, zero points, zero. 0 for 7 from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3, no free throw attempts. He had four rebounds and an assist and a block and a turnover. That was his contribution to the game. 27 minutes, not what you want from him. Kevin Love shot 3 for 6 from 3, but those are the only baskets he made. 34 minutes, 9 points. He had 17 rebounds, though. Uh, it, like, no, there was... Three players in double figures. There was LeBron, Larry Nance Jr., and J.R. Smith. That's not going to cut it. Like, and one of them was barely. Like, Larry Nance had ten points. J.R. had fifteen. J.R. gave him some life in the third. They cut it down to to seven after the uh, Kevin Love almost four point play. But then after that, the the Pacers were kind of in control, and th- the Cavs just couldn't score. It was so their offense was just so anemic. I couldn't believe it. And Rodney Hood, I might be all the way out on this guy because he just he just looks lost on the court. I, I don't have confidence in anything he does 
I'm very worried about his game now and in the future because it was supposed to happen. We were talking about this guy, at least I was, before the season, like maybe he takes a leap. He has shown me nothing this season. He got banged up early, and he just hasn't done anything since. So as much as the cat, like the Pacers won this game, they played better. They played a fantastic game. The Cavs also look like dog shit. And that's like if you get beat and you play good and just like, man, we could just do like this, that, a little bit better, like could have swung our way. No, this was just they got dominated from start to finish. Well, and Lance Stevenson basically equalized J.R. Smith. So when Lance Stevenson is equalizing your second best scorer on the game, that's not a good formula for winning basketball. <laughs> that's who, just, that's like, not it. Can I just ask you a question? Who is the second best player on the Cavs? It's Kevin Love. Is that enough? It, it, there needs to be other Kevin Love types, and George Hill, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance, and Jordan Clarkson are just not those guys in this very moment. And I, I was saying this entering the game, and definitely as I watched the game, I, I was talking to my dad who he roots against LeBron. He doesn't want, follow the NBA too much, but whatever. I was like, you know, everyone hypes up this trade about Larry Nance Jr. and Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood. And when they first made the trade, so many people, including some of the people on this podcast, were like, oh, that's it. They're fixed. Like, they're young. They're going to be running. They're going to be scoring. They're good. This is the first playoff game for Nance and Jordan Clarkson. Rodney Hood doesn't have a ton of success in the playoffs, yet he's played there before. Jeff Green doesn't have a ton of success late in seasons or in playoffs. Kevin Love is Kevin Love. LeBron is LeBron. But the rest of this lineup is just very meh. It's very, very meh. And I said this earlier about the secondary and tertiary players needing to play well. Ask any star. Ask LeBron James right now if you wish uh, some of these other guys stepped up. Ask him because he, he needs those guys to hit shots. He needs them to take some pressure off of himself. He didn't specifically play fantastically even though he had a triple-double. I mean, it was a wake-up call. It was seriously, seriously a wake-up call. And the one thing that was really awesome to watch is that Victor Oladipo truly backed up his great season. And he handled it so well in the post-game interview where, where somebody asked him something along the lines of, like, did did you guys expect this or did, did you guys expect you can compete at this level? And he very calmly said, we've been playing like this the entire season, so we just didn't get the recognition for it. So, yes, we, we expect it to be this good. And and that was that quiet confidence that he's showing, he could be the best player on a playoff team, clearly, and he showed up in game one. It was a it was a lot of fun to watch. He was cold blooded on the court. He was pulling up from three, like five feet behind the line, like. And I love the way he plays. He just attacks. He attacks. He attacks. He he goes in straight lines, very north south, very direct at you at the rim. He's so fast and he changes pace so quickly. I don't think Jr. has the legs to guard him. Late in the game, he was doing okay. When they started to double him, they were throwing extra bodies. They they were helping him out. And honestly, this game could have been worse because because, uh, he was – Oladipo was the only one who shot well from three. Like Corey Joseph went one for one. Miles Turner went one for two. But your boy, Boyan Bogdanovich, he only went one for six. Darren Collison only went one for four. You know, Sabonis went 0 for two. Like, I mean, if he gives you one, that's a bonus. But A sub-bonus? yeah, it's a it's a sub on us. Um, and Lance Stevenson was one for four. I mean, he's not really known for his three point shooting, but Oladipo carried them through this, and the other guys played well enough to get the job done. So the supporting cast on the Pacers is better than the Cavaliers th- through this first game. Like, it, there's a clear hierarchy 
and guys who know their role, what they need to do for them to win and be successful because they've had to stick with it. They haven't had the margin margin of error to be like, okay, we have LeBron. So like maybe he'll go off for 40 tonight or pick up the slack on this particular game. They have to all come to work every day and do what they need to do in order for the team to be successful. So they already have that mindset coming in. I think it gives them a little bit of a mental edge. And if Victor Oladipo, if he can be on the same universe as LeBron James, it comes down to those secondary guys. The funny thing is, uh, we got to move on to the next game, is I was listening to the Low Post. I think you listened to the same episode, and they were talking about this matchup. And Zach Lowe was basically saying, like, the problem with the Cavs is that they have a bad defense. But it's not that like, it's just bad. It's like bottom four teams in the league bad. They're like the 27th ranked defense. And nobody was specifically worried about their offense, right? Today mm-hmm. it was the opposite. You know, they gave up 98 points. Their defense didn't play well. I'm not saying it did. But their offense was a real problem. The Pacers were, like, in all in their faces. So if the Cavs are this elite offensive team relying on that to carry their bad defense, this is not a formula for winning basketball. So I don't know about you. I'm a little nervous. I'm not mashing the panic button, but I am very confident that this is going to be, at minimal, a long series even though I still will have to pick the Cavs to win the series, right? Like, you still have to pick the Cavs? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm still sticking with the Cavs. I think they come back and they win game two. But it's a make-or-miss league. Like you said, people, you know, weren't worried about their offense, and now they're missing shots. And it, it looks – when they look bad because of that defense, they look really, really bad. So, Pete, I, I got you standing. You're in the middle of a room. Dead center of the room. It's a square room. On one side, you got the panic button. On the other side, you got the switch. Is LeBron going to flip the switch, or are you pressing the panic button? Which way are you leaning? I am uh, standing directly in the middle, but I'm looking directly at that panic button. I'm looking at it right in the Ooh, face. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I'm, wow. not, I'm not showing where – I'm not, like, showing, you know? Like, if you don't know which way I'm looking, you, I'm right in the middle. I'm, I'm right – I'm staying the course, but my eyes are on the panic button. Wow. All right. Interesting. Facts. Uh, all right. Moving on. We had two more games left. This next game we're going to talk about was one that I know you and I were excited for. And through the NBA circles that I keep up with, with uh, podcasts I listen to and Twitter people I follow, everyone kind of consensus said this series, the Utah Jazz versus the Oklahoma City Thunder, may be the most interesting series of the first round. We got a pretty good game, but the Oklahoma City Thunder, led by playoff Paul George, pretty much uh, handed handled the second half uh, in control. And that was led by playoff Paul George, but also Russell Westbrook, of course. And then Steven Adams is an absolute savage. He's just so strong. He's so big. He's so powerful and impactful. And he may have broke his hand on one alley-oop dunk where he was literally walking around not moving his arm. And I got a little nervous. The next play, he got a block with his left hand and then hit a floater off the glass uh, the play later. So he was fine. Uh, what did this game tell you about how this series may may kick up? and how either of these teams can compete uh, amongst the talent of the NBA in general? Uh, so one word that I would use to describe uh, Steven Adams is active. He's so active. It seems like for a big dude, he moves really well, like deceptively, deceptively well, because he's not as lean as someone like Clint Capella, but he, he's big and he's bulky, but, but he's so active. It seems like he's got his hand in everything. And I heard on the telecast today, he was the first player ever to average uh, five offensive rebounds per game, but less than 10 total rebounds, which is kind of weird. 
It's also a product of Russ probably just stealing those rebounds. No, absolutely. There's a statistic that I, I, I have it on my Twitter. I'll have to bring it up. Maybe I'll post it again. Uh, during this season, they they track box out versus rebounds, obviously. So, like, if you boxed it out, you may not get the rebound someone else might. Steven mm-hmm. Adams led the league in box outs by, like, a million. Wow. And yet he wasn't even close to the top in rebounds per game. Because Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, was like all the way towards the bottom on box outs, but way above Steven Adams on regular rebounds. So that that's the stat right there. Steven Adams, right, interesting. Steven Adams does the dirty work. Also, low-key, on the low, Carmelo Anthony helps a lot with the dirty work. Uh, he doesn't go for rebounds very often. But he will face box out people. Yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna say that he does that weird face box. <laughs> he doesn't even look for the ball. He finds a guy, looks at him, puts both his elbows in his chest, and doesn't let him get the ball. And it works for Russ because Russ goes in and grabs the ball. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if it works for the Thunder, it works for the Thunder. Even though you and I like to poke fun at, at the Thunder for it, uh, let's talk about Paul George. Oh yeah, insane shooting off the charts. Eight of eleven from three. You're not losing a game when he's shooting that good. But you mentioned something in our group chat. We were talking about this game. You know, yeah, Paul George was 8 for 11 from 3. In a way more down-to-earth game where he was just good and not amazing, and he's 4 for 11, the, the whole, the entire context of this game is drastically changed. So Russell Westbrook's 10 of 25 actually looks like 10 of 25, and not just his 29, 13, and 8 fantastic game because Paul George didn't get 36. So are, are you worried at all? about the the Thunder offense and they're relying on Paul George to be insane or do you think they have too much firepower? Uh I'm I'm nervous because even though Paul George was lighting it up, he had five fewer shots than Russell Westbrook and I know it sounds like dumb of me to say yeah, if he had 12 less points they would have lost by four. When, you know, that actually was not really the case like they, they the game was not as close as it looks like when you just look at the box score because Mitchell and all the starters came out when the game was the the thunder were up like 20 and they came out and for whatever reason like I Russ just stayed on the court just trying to score more points begging for and ones and there's like a minute and a half left and the game was well in hand that was just weird to me yeah and but, Alec Burke scored 10 points in two minutes yeah that was that was wild um but but Paul George was so efficient. Like, you know, I look at this stat line, you know who it reminds me of? Who? Kevin Durant. Yeah. If you take, if you, if I told you five years ago that, you know, the Thunder won in a playoff game and Russell Westbrook was like 29 points and he was 10 for 25 shooting. And then the sec- the other player, the other superstar in his team was thir- 13 for 20, 8 for 11 from three with 36 points. You'd be like, classic Kevin Durant. Yeah, And so, like, that's why those two worked together so well is because Durant didn't want to dominate the ball. He was fine being the second fiddle. Like, that's why they got along off the court because, like, that whole narrative that he shoots too much, Russ shoots too much, blah, 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 they, that didn't matter to them because that's not Durant's game anyway. And right. Paul George is a great second fiddle for that same reason. Like, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands all the time. He'll get his shots. He'll get his open shots. He'll hit down. He'll knock down his shots. But he's not as consistent as Kevin Durant. Like, Paul George is a great player. Kevin Durant is like an all-time great player. So I don't believe that Paul George is going to have that consistency for every game this this series. Like, I get it, playoff P, but if Westbrook has another game where he shoots 10 for 25 and, and Carmelo shoots 5 for 13 and Paul George shoots like 9 for 20 instead of 13 <laughs> for 20, 
Yeah. Like it's it's a completely different game. And conversely for the Jazz, Jingles, he hit he like the stat line says he was three for five. I'm pretty sure he hit two threes in the fourth quarter when the game was pretty much over. That like if anything happened in the fourth quarter in this game, it doesn't really count because the Thunder were just had control of the game from then on. Paul George hit a buzzer beater three at the end of the third quarter, and I texted you guys. I was like, that was the dagger. This game's over. And, and you could just tell they couldn't – they didn't have the firepower to match up with Paul George down the stretch. I, I, I don't know. What, what did you think from your, from your Jazz? I, I mean, the Jazz played a Jazz game. They moved the ball around. Donovan Mitchell was their clear go-to guy. Shout out to him. I mean, every time you think he may, you know – just shrink in a spotlight or not show up to play or not have a good game. He comes out and plays his ass off and plays very well. He was banged up. His foot got like a little messed up and he, he, he wanted to come back in. He said he didn't care. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. He finally comes back in. He plays well, but then it was pretty much over and they took him out. Of course. Right. It was a smart move. It also came down to the point because juxtaposition uh, to the jazz of their great defense the Thunder have a very strong defense, especially when they're locked in, starting with Paul George and Steven Adams, and when Russ is locked in, even better. So what I think the problem is going to be from this game is, I mean, from this series, is the Jazz ability to score with the Thunder. So I think that the, the Thunder have enough individual talent to, to occasionally beat the great defense. I don't know if the system slash individual talent for the Jazz is enough to consistently beat and also great defense in the Thunder. I think that is a narrative from this game that I'm latching on to. But I do want to mention this. You mentioned the Kevin Durant thing, and I, I thought that exact thing watching this game. I said to myself, Paul George is going insane. Now if Paul George plays like this, you can you can plug this team in to any of those OKC, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant teams, minus the James Harden team. And it's the same, it's the same exact concept. High-volume guard, Russell Westbrook going to do his thing. And then hopefully super efficient, all-purpose wing who can also make an impact on the defensive end. That It's the same exact concept. And that's why I'm not going to be shocked if they actually win this series with a little bit more handedness. Uh, handedness? I don't know if that makes sense. Handedly. Uh, hand, a little more handedly than I expected. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, look, you got a guy shooting 13 for 20, 8 for 11 for three, and you lose a game, I'm going to be like, what the fuck happened? So... If they keep getting that kind of production, it's going to be extremely tough for this Jazz team to score that many points and keep up. But I did like, from the Jazz, what I did like was Gobert altering shots in the lane. Westbrook shot a lot of mid-range, but he was making them early, and then he he cooled off late, but didn't really matter because that's when Paul George really picked it up. It's cringeworthy when he takes those shots sometimes. Yeah, I I see those go up, and I'm like, yes, bad shot, and they go in. It's like, fuck, no, he's going to keep shooting them. I hate watching that. Like, I, it's not that I'm rooting against him. It's like, dude, just get better at shooting threes, please, for the love of God. Uh, they're worth more points, I swear. Um, <laughs> it's like he doesn't get it. It's it's bizarre to me. Um, but I, I, I'm not terribly concerned about the Jazz. Rubio shot five for 18, like, holy shit. Uh, but he was having a really active game. He was doing a lot of good stuff. I feel like he had four steals. Um he he just got to shoot it better. Like if he shoots, if he makes two more shots and George makes two less shots, the game is very different going into the fourth quarter. So as, as much as I'm saying, like at the, the whole quarter didn't matter because the game was in hand. 
if the beginning was just a, a little different, I feel like the Jazz are right there. Uh, another guy on the Jazz, shout out Dante Exum. He made a, a string of plays where he did two back to back like horrendous turnovers. I think Carmelo Anthony mm-hmm. was even yeah one of the people who stripped him. And that's never good when that happens to you. And then he just dribbled the ball out of bounds. Yeah, uh, that was that was a really bad look for Dante Exum. But then he really did come back. He played super hard. He got to the rim. He got to the line a little bit. Um, shout out him. He can be he can be a low key difference maker for this Jazz team um, when they just need some playmaking and to mix it up or somebody to get to the rim. So look out for that. I I, I still think this game the series going six. I think I predict predicted OKC in seven. I might be leading OKC in six, but this is still very much a series. Um, anyway, moving on to the last game we had that ended uh, about an hour and a half ago in current time of our life, not why somebody is listening to this podcast. But we have the Rockets only winning by three points against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yet it didn't feel like the, it was super scary, like the Timberwolves were going to win because you know they kind of let it slip a little bit at the end. Granted, though, the Rockets did not play very well. Chris Paul played particularly bad, actually. And we were talking about playoff Paul George being real, playoff Kelly Olenek jokingly being real, even though it's very real. Uh, is playoff Chris Paul being not great? Is that real? So far. I mean, usually it comes in the later rounds, but really, really tough start for Chris Paul. Five for 14 from the floor, one for six from three. It seemed like it, he he was just being so tentative after he missed a couple shots a lot of guys on this Rockets team were just playing nervous after they had missed a few shots. And this is like, it was really bizarre to watch because this, you think about this team is like, they've never met a shot they didn't like. And all of a sudden they start second guessing themselves. And it was, it, it was really uncomfortable. Like Trevor Ariza in the third quarter, like he was wide open. He like did a half pump fake. Like he didn't want to shoot. And then he's like, Oh shit, I guess I'm wide open. He lets it fly. And then he bricks it. Cause he just didn't want to be there. Like he went one for six. PJ Tucker went one for five. Uh, Chris Paul, five for 14. Eric Gordon, three for 10. None of them shot. Well, none of them shot well from three. They shot 27% as a team from three, just awful for the best three point shooting team in the league. But you know what? If I'm, if I'm Mike D'Antoni after this game, I come back to the locker room. I say, you guys put like fucking shit and we still won the game. So I- I'm not worried at all for the Rockets in this series. If the Timberwolves are going to win a game, this was it. You're right. This was their chance. They could, they could have snuck out with a win uh, going back, like staying in Houston for game two with the, with the game up. And they're already flipping this series on its head. And that, that didn't happen. And like I said, it, it, it looks a lot closer now when you look at the box score. Rockets kind of like let it slip. And, and you also said it yourself. They played bad. They did not play well. James Harden was like the really him and Clint Capella were the only guys who who just did consistent work all game long. Like Eric Gordon having seven points on three of ten that doesn't usually happen. That's not something that's normal, and and he's a guy who doesn't usually lack for confidence. So hopefully this is not a thing for the Rockets right now, and they're not in their own heads. And Dan Tony and Chris Paul are not in their own heads. Doesn't seem like James Harden is very much. Uh, you know, fifteen for twenty six, seven of twelve from three. So he carried the team. He really, really carried the team in game one. But let's flip over to the Timberwolves for a second. Jimmy Butler did not look right. Jimmy Butler's wrist is not right. He didn't look comfortable. Um, do they have any chance to even make the series interesting if he's not playing near 100%? No. And I told you that three days ago. If Jimmy Butler is not absolutely 100%, the Timberwolves have no chance because they need him to be a factor on offense and defense. He is one of the most 
high energy, active, minutes played, offense, defense, two-way, guard forwards in the league. And he's not healthy. Like, we don't even know if his knee is 100%. Now his wrist is messed up. So, you know, who do you go to? Where do those extra shots go? And apparently they're going to Andrew Wiggins. And apparently they're going to Derrick Rose. So Derrick Rose, guess how many field goal attempts Derrick Rose had? Well, I mean, I have the box score open, so. Well, all right, fuck you. Um, <laughs> so he was he was seven for fourteen. There goes seven for fourteen. Jamal Crawford four for eleven. Andrew Wiggins seven for fifteen. Carl Anthony Towns he had nine field goal attempts. How he had in the hell nine does that? How does that universe exist? How does that happen? Nine. He went. I mean, granted, he went three for nine, but he, there were a ton. Like I usually hate listening to broadcasts because I, I think a lot of the casters are really bad, especially. Uh, it, it, like actually, um, what's his name? Who the f- who who was doing this game with Marv? Was it Chris? Jesus. We- Chris Weber? Yes, Chris Weber. Thank you. I I was gonna say Chris Tucker. I was drawing a complete blank. That's the wrong industry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Chris Chris Weber. I I don't like him as a person. I think he's a weirdo. But as a commenter, he's he's really good. That's a weird uh, commentator. That's a real, real backhanded compliment. Yeah. Well, no. I just you know. I meant I meant what I said, um, but as a <laughs> as a commentator, he knows his stuff, and he kept pointing out. He's like, "All right, Towns has got a mismatch here. Chris Ball is guarding him. I like to see what they go go to here." And then like Jamal Crawford just pulls from three. He's like, "If I'm Carl Anthony Towns, I'm going back to this huddle and I'm yelling at my head coach. I'm yelling at my teammates. Give me the effing ball. Like, what is wrong with you guys? You got PJ Tucker and Chris Paul on me, and I can't get a touch." And and like the one time they try to kick it out to him, Jeff Jeff Teague is trying to hit him in the corner. He throws it in the freaking stands. He can't even hit him wide open for a three. So, like, how, how do you have one of the best big men in all of basketball, top five big men in all of basketball, and he, my man, can't even get double digit attempts? Like he's out there for forty minutes. Give him some touches. Like this is completely ridiculous. Something's and got to t- hit. Oh my god, I can't believe they made the playoffs. Like. They need to fire him. They need to fire him. I know he made the playoffs, but they need to fire him. There's no universe that should ever happen. Like, part of the problem I, th- I saw, too, with the Timberwolves and, and Carl Anthony Towns specifically is he kept getting the ball, like, in weird situations. Like, they'd give him the ball, but he'd be, like, roaming the perimeter or moving from one spot towards the outside of the, uh, of, uh, uh, of the perimeter again. It's like, no, give that dude the ball in the low block at least a couple times to get him going, and then let's run some pick and roll. Like, this dude needs to be involved. There is no realm of reality where the Timberwolves succeed where he only shoots nine shots. They kept running pick and roll with Taj Gibson. So, wait, I have a question, though. Because for you, you said D'Antoni uh, should be like, all right, guys, you played like like absolute trash, like steaming garbage, yet we still won. If you're the Timberwolves, are you Tibbs going to your team like, guys, I coached horrible. I'm not good at my job. You guys are good. Uh, you played bad, and you still almost won. Like, are you doing the same thing on, on the other side? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I if I was Tibbs, I would say that because you know, you put my brain in Tibbs' body. I know I'm trash. Like, you know me as a trash coach. So I'm gonna <laughs> own up to that. Autumn, like, face up. I'm that type of guy. I'll say, hey, I'm bad. You know what I need to do? I need to get Carl Towns the ball more. Know what I need to do? I need to cut Derrick Rose in the middle of the playoffs because just <laughs> fuck that guy. I would rather <laughs> like play Tyus Jones instead because I mean, Derrick Rose played like, well, dude. What are you doing? T- like, p- p- what is it? I 
Bro, he was minus six. Like, I don't care. He was bad. Like, no, he wasn't bad. You're using plus minus against him right now. I am because he's bad. Um, they they were they were not afraid of him at any point. He just kept getting switched on to James Harden, and he burned him for like three straight possessions. He pulled pull up three, blow by, blow by. Like one was a layup, one was a lob to Clint Capella. Like at any point when he's guarding someone. As if James, if they can get that switch on James Harden every time, it's over. Like that's two points automatically. That's they I would love to know, like extrapolate what the like their one on one like James Harden in ISO versus Derrick Rose. Like his regular points per possession on that is like one point two, one point three against Derrick Rose is probably like one point eight. Like he he just can't guard anyone. He's not explosive on offense. I don't. They they went to ISO. At the end of the first half, with Derrick Rose ISO, you got Andrew Wiggins on the floor. Like, just go to him instead. Just post up Carl Towns and give him the ball. If they go to double him, he's a good enough player to pass out. He's seven foot tall. He's a smart kid. He'll know where to go with the ball. I'm sad. They just don't have shooters around them either. So it's like, all right, they double. Who do they pass to? (laughs) I'm sad we saved this game for the end, man. You, You brought it. You really brought it on this one. I don't know what to do with Tibbs at this point. I feel like I'm taking crazy. P- I don't know why. Like, I, I there must be like some, some real rule in the media where they about other people's jobs, they got to show like certain level of respect. This guy fucking sucks. He's an idiot. I, like, <laughs> oh. where is David Blatt right now? Get oh David Blatt God. a job. I'm telling you, wherever he goes, I hope he goes to the Suns because fuck everyone else that wants to like ignore the dude and the way he, the way he coaches. I was also thinking about the Jerry Stackhouse point you made. I'm all in on that because, you know, this man went to the G League to be get, get head coaching experience. He was in the NBA for like 20 years, got the NBA experience. He wants to be get that head coach experience. So I'm, I turned back around on that one. If they want to hire him. I'm fine with that. You know, wait. David Blatt, get the, get, come on, man. David, Bl- David Blatt will be in the NBA next year for sure. So your prediction will be proven right or wrong next year uh, of how he could handle the NBA. Uh, in round two for him. Also, real quick before we say goodbye, because it is time for us to go, I mentioned in the preview podcast, uh, which you know not as many people got to listen to because we posted on Friday. It was pretty long, so I get it, uh, especially that was our second episode of the week. But I said, talking about the Knicks head coach thing, it's like, yeah, you, you know, does Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson love? is It's all about nostalgia. It's not about new NBA. It's not about X's and O's. It's about Knicks fans being simple and being like, oh, they were Knicks before and they won pretty decently let's bring him back nick for life like nick culture all this crap like that's garbage it's trash it's not real it's nostalgia it's garbage it's rubbish and it's not true and I, I jokingly said oh if you hire jeff and gandhi and mark jackson all that guarantees is a fluff piece from frank isola saying the 90s knicks are back and literally duff we posted the podcast overnight thursday into friday friday i get to work i see the back of the daily news and what is there there's a photoshopped glorification of Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy and a story by Frank Isola saying the Knicks need to hire JVG or Mark Jackson. And I'm just screaming my freaking head off. Nostalgia (laughs) is not the answer when you got old heads who run old head offenses. We need a new guy. We need some young blood. We need not to have crazy, you know, past expectations driven from nostalgia. We don't need David Blatt, even though I think he's not a bad option. He just has that weird LeBron thing connected to him. Jerry Stackhouse, the perfect mixture of 
no nostalgia, no ties. You know who he is. He's hung. He's young. He's hungry. He wants to be an NBA head coach. He is my guy right now. But do you know anything about him? Like any any system he runs, or and like what type of offense or defensive philosophy? You know, is he offensive coach? Is he a defensive coach? Like oh, David Blatt's oh. offensive coach. Mark Jackson's defensive coach. Like, do you, do you know anything about him? Um, I know that he's part of the Raptors organization, and they have been running a very good show over the past five or so years. And uh, these young that would, that's a good point. That would be like a great place to learn. Yes, and especially if you saw how the Rockets changed their – I mean, the Raptors changed their philosophies this season. I would, I would just feel confident saying that Jerry Stackhouse is not stuck anywhere in some past realm of reality and that he's been taking this opportunity to learn and be a smart head coach. So I, I don't know specifics about him. That's fair. But, you know, that's how I feel. <laughs> it's fine because David Blatt, he doesn't want you either. You know where he's going? Phoenix. Phoenix. Devin, You're damn right. Devin Booker's done not making the playoffs. LOL. All He's right, done. man. This is it. This has been the, the week one, week, weekend number one of the NBA playoffs. All the game ones are done. We have a bunch of great basketball coming up. Duffy, any last words for the pod? Well, I want to ask you, do you want do you want to switch any of your picks for your p- predictions? You, you had Golden State. You had Raptors. You had Sixers. You had Blazers. I had the Celtics. I had the Thunder. Celtics. Cavs. You had the Thunder. Nope. You had the Rockets. Anything you want to switch? Nothing. I'm confident. Still confident in the Thunder. Still confident in the Celtics. Uh, confident in the Blazers as well. Uh, even though less confident for sure. The one, the one where uh, we might we might be thinking about this very differently at the end of the week. Do the Pacers for real? For real? Give the Cavs a run for their money. That's the real, real question. Yeah. I, you know what I'm most excited for is just the storylines. Like you said, I'm not changing my pick either. But now I, there were like three matchups I was excited for. Now there's like five. There's like four, at least four, five. There's five because I, I, I care about the Celtics Bucks one is going to be a lot more exciting than I thought. And the Cavs Pacers, I'm roped in right now for sure. So, I mean, we'll see what happens in game two. But for now, I'm really locked in on that series. It's good stuff, man. I'm super-duper excited. I'm very much in. That's why I'm sorry to the baseball fans. Baseball's here. The Mets are good. It's fun. You know, it's exciting. We have a whole season to talk about it. We only have these few months to talk about the NBA playoffs. It's it's a real exciting time. Uh, Duff, thanks for joining, man. Always love to be here. Uh, we'll be back later in the week, maybe, to talk some baseball for a little bit, but we're probably going to be talking some NBA as well. And, of course, now the NFL draft is literally like two weeks away. That's almost here. Uh, this has been the SBNY Podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy, joined with John Lucas Duffy. You guys have a fantastic day, and keep continuing to enjoy the NBA playoffs. Have a good one.